Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. Try wow, something out. Right? <laughs> Go, just going for it, right? Yeah. There's no warning. Just boom. A lot more vibrant, yeah, just... a lot more happy, a lot more upbeat. A lot more You're trying to counter counteract the anger and irritation you feel over your back problems. Mm, yeah, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday for that too, pain management. Oh. They tried giving me so many drugs, and I was like, what are the side effects? Oh, weight gain, oh, no. loss of sex like, you drive. Can, you can Google it. You can Google it. I can't, I can't do her accent, right? But anyways, she's a tiny Wait, little lady. she didn't know the side effects? She looked it up on her phone, dude. She Googled it. <laughs> oh, my God. And the first one was drowsy. And I was like, can I drink on it? Can I drink alcohol on it? She's like, I don't recommend it. I was like, next. I was like, I don't want to be a fucking zombie, all right? Right, Next right. one. Same thing. And I was like, this is another anti-seizure medication. And no, guys, I don't have seizures, but it's nerve pain medication to stop pain. Okay? Yada, yada. There we go. Right. Um, and I was like, well, side effects. And she's like, oh, similar. And I was like, oh, what's similar? She goes, um, it's gonna make you drowsy. And I was like, I don't want to be a fucking zombie. And I was like, can I drink alcohol with it? She's like, I don't, I don't recommend it. And I was like, I'm not taking it. And she goes, the next one, she goes, and this one is an antidepressant. And I was like, what? Antidepressant. She's like, it can help. Yeah, there's, there's antidepressants that help with pain, supposedly, but not there. I told her, like, no. Yeah, they're weak. suicidal thoughts, ideation. Yeah, like, dude. I'm good depression, nope. severe depression, and just, uh, just, it can make me sleepy. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I- I'm good. I'll deal with my depression like a man. I'll shove it deep down inside of me and forget <laughs> about it. And she looked at me and she goes, it's not for depression. I said, that's what I do, though. And she looked at me. She's like, you're a fucking psycho. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm in pain. Like I was in pain in there. They're shooting pain down my leg. So they're yeah. ordering a new MRI because they're like, fuck, even though even my spine doctor's like, Mm, you're still having pain i'm like yeah he's like let's get together in two weeks and let me know how you feel and yeah. i'm like hey man i'm still having fucking pain he's like dill let's get together like, in three yeah weeks. man he goes all right i'll see you in two weeks and i'm like man it's that way every single time and now oh, i'm getting a new God. mri and i'm like this is fucked dude i was like just tell me i'm fucking broken that i need the fusion but you guys don't want to do the fusion because of my age and you want to wait a little bit longer mm-hmm. i fucking get it but let's just not let's not sugarcoat um horse shit yeah and call it a cookie let's just call it horse shit and say hey this is what it is and this is say, what's gonna happen here's some horse shit and you still gotta take better. a bite yeah right i can deal with that better like hey you're fucked up you're gonna be fucked up you're gonna be living with pain for quite some time maybe forever and we're gonna have to learn to deal with it and then in a few years we'll get that surgery done when it's unbearable when you're a little bit older and then maybe yeah. that helps but I'm yeah. like, man, I can't wait for this medical pension to be over. I'm getting a fucking second opinion from a new doctor. I'm going to try to get a knee replacement and I'm going to try to get my back done and fucking just not try to fuck it up. Right. Nothing yep. physical, nothing crazy. Nope. And I'm just, dude, I'm going fucking stir crazy in my house. I don't like, and there's other people who and we, I think we've talked about it before. We were going to talk about it on the show regarding those who are struggling and going through um, medical retirements who have went through yeah. medical retirements or who are disabled, who are going through disability pension bullshit or workers comp. Look, I get it. It sucks. I'm fucking dealing with it. I'm going crazy. I feel like a piece of shit. I'm not going to lie. I feel like a sack of shit. Yep. Just sucking up my department's funds. And I, it makes me feel like shit, but I'm like, there's no way I can go and push a black and white right now. There's no, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, fuck me. I get in my truck yeah. and I'm like, shooting pains down my knee and my fucking leg from my back. And I'm like, and it's all my left side. Oh God! Imagine oh putting dude. on a belt and walking around. Yeah, I tried. Tried thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck that, dude!" Yeah. I I picked up my okay. So my oldest daughter, not my oldest, my second oldest, my oldest here right now because the, the kids with their with their mm-hmm. other mom, and uh, she's she's two, but she's very petite, so she's only like, I don't know, twenty pounds, something like that. Mm-hmm. And look, I can't be lifting more than twenty pounds, right? And I don't right. lift more than twenty pounds. It fucking hurts. But when your daughter like leans on you and then fucking tries to wrap her legs around you, what are you oh, supposed to do? Push her off? Like, dude, when they when they ambush you and jump chair? on your back? <laughs> oh, so she was on the table and she was staying up on the chair and I went over there and grabbed her because she was going to fucking eat shit. 
And then she kind of like put all her weight on me and I was like, oh, let me put you under the ground. And I yeah. felt it on my back. And I was like, dude, this is fucked. Like it hurts to hold my kid. Even yep. holding my seven pound four month old is painful. And I'm a guy who can used to lift a lot of fucking weight and I'm going fucking crazy. Depression through the roof. Not going to lie. It's through the roof because I'm mm-hmm. not able to do shit. I'm yeah. fucking just sitting there. It's it's painful. Like I'm like, yeah, it's it. depressing. Let's drink. It's fucking depressing. Try yeah. not to drink here. Well, I I appreciate it that you're Have trying not to drink like all the time. You can drink some of the time though. Come on, there you go. At a boy. So we have a returning guest, but it's kind of a weird sideways returning guest, don't we? Yeah. So we have Dakota, um, and I hope we can say your name because we just did. And if not, oh, well, we're live. I'm just kidding. We're not live. So if you need to take it out, we'll take it out. But uh, Dakota here, he's volunteer firefighter, correct? Mm-hmm. I spoke with him over the phone. He's rocking one of our shirts right now, the Ride the Lighting shirt. Yeah. Awesome. How do you like that real quick? It fits great. I love this shirt. Awesome. Yep. And we spoke over the phone and I apologized to him over some stuff. And I was like, hey, man. And he's like, hey, dude, like I've been reaching out to you. And I'm like, yes, yes, you have. I completely forgot. I'm not going to lie. I apologize to him. He got some cool goodies in his bag. Yeah. You've had some um, shit. That I sent. And yeah, yeah. Dakota was on, him on locker room previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, and he joined us there to to talk about some stuff. And now um, after some back and forth, as you can hear from Chuck having some scheduling issues. <laughs> uh dakota's back to talk about some uh some of his firefighter stories man how are you i'm doing great how are you guys well Good. besides chuck's back great. my knee yeah was it was the old expression if i were any better i'd be twins right <laughs> Dude. We, we we tell ourselves that uh so why don't you t- so you're a you're a firefighter and i know um, real quick hold on let me interject yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. i see why people get hooked on opiates mm. Continue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, they do. Pain sucks. No, yeah. Because of this type of pain. Yeah. Pain. Anyways, continue. Okay. It was just in my head. That's all. So uh, now, how long have you been a firefighter? So uh, I was a firefighter. Um, I joined when I was 16. Uh, basically, kind of the story on that is uh, my little brother, um, one of his his best friend's house burnt to the ground. I come from a very small town in Missouri, like 264 people in the town completely. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, So it was, I seen the fire department. It was in very poor shape. And I just kind of decided, I was like, you know, I can make a difference. I can help. And I wanted to learn. So I joined the fire department that day and total ended up spending 10 years, uh, then um, I moved to Indiana for a job, so I had to leave the department. But yeah, in total, I was 10 years, kind of started out in the junior fire fire department side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like a um, junior fire? Is that like explorers, okay. like Explore, like yeah. cadets, like or do you actually like because because explorers, they, don't, they, they, they do stuff, but they don't run calls. They right. may want to ride along or something like that. So. Obviously, because our department was very small. When I joined our department, I think there was only four or five people on it. Oh, like, fuck shit. yeah, you're running calls. Oh, oh yeah, no. I <laughs> I straight up. Child so that, labor. that day, I started rolling hose. That was my first crash course was rolling hose. And within a week, I had a radio and I was running calls. And I mean, obviously, wow. they were. You know, I wasn't allowed to go inside the house. I wasn't, you know, and in, go inside burning buildings or stuff like that. But I was outside rolling hose, pulling hose, doing that kind of thing. Medical. Oh, the grunt um, work. Yeah. Oh, all the grunt work. And I Perfect. mean, the, rookies, the, the, the guys that were low on the totem pole with no seniority were like, yes, exactly. bring on the free labor. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, ran medical calls, Um, you know, kind of like any typical fire department, the way they are set up nowadays. They run way more fire or medical calls than they do, you know, actual fires. And ours was no different. And I mean, you think that in a small town, we don't see much. There was a lot of grass fires because we were a very rural community. I was going to say, like Missouri out there, because my partner lives in Trenton. He he lives in, I don't know what, but he he decided to super commute and move to 
from fucking California. He's still employed by agency, but he moved to, to Trenton, Missouri. Okay. And it's, he shows me photos and videos all the time and it's flat as shit. Oh yeah. So, um, the town I'm from is, uh, about 60 miles South of Kansas city. It literally bordered right on the Kansas state line. I mean, that's kind of where I was at. Um, but I mean, grass fires, you know, tons of grass fires in the summer. Um, Lots Natives. of medical cars, um, car accidents. And I mean, you know, being out there in ag country, tractors catching on fire, combines catching on fire, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, car accidents. We had a major railroad that ran through the center of our town because there was a power plant, a coal power power plant just on the other side of the state line. So they would oh. come through us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's been said on the show before. I've seen person versus train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The train always wins. The train yeah, has yeah. never lost that battle. That was mm-hmm. a fun three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you may have you that. have you may have gotten missed, right? <laughs> yeah, it may, it may have gotten nicked, like your car bumper gets torn off. But if a train tears your car bumper, like even if it just kisses your car bumper, it's still gonna spin the shit out of your car and destroy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like you totally. might get lucky if the train nicks your bumper and you survive, right? And if but, so and if it, th- I was, I was gonna say go if ahead. a train kisses your body, oh no, and there you don't no explode. Thing. Yeah, it yeah. will incinerate and obliterate every fucking bone inside of you and leave you as a meat and jello sack. So yeah. what happened was is this was kind of one of the local drug addicts because small town drugs and you know, you know how that game is played. Mm-hmm. Um, he took off walking down the train tracks and was drunk and high on opiates and decided to lay down and take a nap. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That was about a mile and a half's worth of walking down the tracks going, there's a body part. There's uh, a body part. A mile and a half. Yep. Yeah. Because I mean, that train was doing about 60 miles an hour when it hit him because it was outside of town. So it was back up to full speed, about 60 wow. when it hit him. And it was like so, nighttime. So you probably can't see. Yeah. He, he said he didn't. <laughs> the conductor said he didn't see him until he was literally five foot away. And uh, Obviously, nothing can be done at that point. <clears throat> so this is how crazy ass Idaho is sometimes. And I love it because it, they basically, it, you know, my my theory about uh, population control and about lawsuits and all that kind of stuff is we just take the warning labels off of everything and let right. nature take its course. Well, here <laughs> we have three kinds of train tracks. We have the train tracks that Chuck has seen his whole life and I saw my whole life. You drive up to it and a gate drops and then a train mm-hmm. goes by and then the gate raises and then mm-hmm. you drive past. There's a second kind. Uh, there is a sign and a stop sign and you stop in front of the train tracks, make sure a train's not coming and then you drive through. Right. And then there's the third kind, which is another sign that just tells you that train tracks are ahead and <laughs> yeah, you can stop or not, but it's on you to figure out if a train is coming and don't fuck up. <laughs> right. Right. Fuck. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, and from where I, where I grew up at, we kind of in town, we had the arms and just outside of town, we had the arms, but there was a very good amount of train crossings. That was just like that. There was a sign yeah. that said, Hey, train tracks. And it was on you to stop. Yeah. That's, it was that simple. And right. you'd be surprised how many people don't stop. Well, and here's the thing. Your guy was walking on the tracks, but just, yeah. just, I mean, I don't know how we turn this into train safety, but um, trains will suck you in, mm-hmm. right? They will suck you in. And if you're too close to it, when it passes by that creation, that, that differentiation of high and low pressure, it's just like when, you know, a sh- you know, when something heavy goes into the water and it pulls people towards it because it creates a vacuum and then pressure right. and then, you know, trains will do that to you too. And if you get too close to it, when it goes by at a good clip, they'll suck you right in and you will not, like I have heard of people losing an arm to a train because they just happen to like only get their arm run over by it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's a ca- like, like that's a, yeah. Anyway, uh, trains are nothing to mess with. So this guy did, I mean, did, uh, how long were you guys out there? Did you spend the whole night looking for body we parts? Were, yeah, we were out there for, did probably you have to go back out four hours? We were out there for probably a good four hours. Uh, and what the what the messed up thing about it is is such a small town. So I used to joke, and I still kind of joke about it. I was I have been in every person in that house in that town's house. 
Oh, wow. Whether, whether it be f- wow. for friendly or for, you know, fire department or anything like that. Cause I, you know, I grew up there. I, in a town of 264 people, it's not real hard to know everybody that lives in town. Yeah. I have more friends on Facebook than that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, we're walking down the train tracks and all we knew is we had body parts. We didn't know who it was or what it was. And I happened to walk by and I looked down and I seen a piece of flesh and it had a tattoo and I go, I know whose tattoo that is. Mm-hmm. And I made it about three more steps and I've recognized the shoes. I was like, Oh shit. Yep. Yep. I know who that I was, is. I was totally, and that was going to be my next question. When you said it was such a small town was, did you identify him based on recognizing parts of the body? Yeah. And, and that's, and the farther we got down, we finally found his wallet and I was, the sheriff's deputy picked up the wallet and he looked at it and I was like, is it such and such? And he goes, yeah. I was like, yeah, his dad is my next door neighbor. So, uh, yeah, that no have, have fun with that. Uh, you know, no, it must be tough uh, working in a small town, knowing people and going on medicals or whatever, or seeing them messed up or dead, you know, and you, you know them personally, because I've seen it to where officers deal with, you know, someone who's, who's passed and they actually know the person and it destroys them, you know, cause it's so, it hits so close to home, but this is your home and there's only a few hundred people there. Well, so, so I can tell you, Oh, real quick. I was just going to add to that, that I, I can only imagine. And you, I want to hear what your experiences are like. Cause just moving here in LA, nobody knows anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Southern California. Yeah. Nobody knows anybody like it, the, the Los Angeles police department where dad worked 10,000 cops. Like if, if you say, Oh, my dad worked for LAPD and somebody says, Oh, so-and-so worked for LAPD. You can mention both their names and there's less than 10% chance that they knew each other. Right. They might, but yeah, right. a lot of people, whereas here, everybody's watching the news. They see the Idaho, the four uh, college kids that got murdered in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Idaho is so small and such a tiny community that out of the four, two of them went to the same high school as my son. Oh, And so it's like, it, it's just such a tiny community and and we're still a bigger that we're we're way we're thousands of population you know as a like I think my the city I live in is forty five or fifty thousand and you're talking about two hundred forty six yeah I mean so it's kind of funny um kind of calling back to a locker room episode uh, my son has autism okay so with that through all the di- diagnosing of him finding getting autism or you know being diagnosed we kind of found out that. I am also on the spectrum. I share a lot of the same things that he did. Right. Um, but with, so with that being said, when it comes to the fire department, I am, I was really good at disassociating the call from the person. Right. The, whenever I got toned out, it was just the call. I never associated it with the person until much afterwards. And when I was in high school, um, a friend of ours committed suicide that it was it's a long story basically it was a shoe and football game it was a friday night we knew we were going to kick the snot out of this team we were getting ready for a bonfire he committed suicide in the field that we were going to have the bonfire i was one of the 10 that found him because we were loading trucks and taking truckloads of wood there i took full responsibility of the scene i was part of the people that helped call the cops and then once the sheriff's department got there i gave them the full breakdown and everything like that completely disassociated myself from being his friend and i just i i went he was a firefighter yeah Yeah. and it was it's kind of a blessing and a curse because i can i don't have a lot of trauma from some of the stuff that happened while i was on the department and i seen some very horrographic things and one of the stories that or the main story i'll tell tonight is going to be a it's an absolute disaster of a scene and it's just I, it's just another day. It was just another day to me. Yeah. So, yeah I mean, I, I get that. I get that because I was good at, for the most part, it's, it's funny because some people have it naturally. Some people try to learn it and some people can never get it, but being able to compartmentalize, right. Being able yeah. to disassociate. Um, it's still going to take a toll on you later. Right. Sure. You're still going to oh, have yeah. it's it, it's not like a magic like, oh, I can just turn off my emotions and not take any of this stuff in. You take right. it in. You just it's like, OK, put that over there. I can't even look at it. Can't even deal with it. Like 
It's like bringing in the mail and setting it on the table and leaving it alone. You know, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I mean, so and when I started on the department, we had one chief, and then we moved over to an uh, another chief took over who ended up becoming my dad. You know, as a young kid growing up without a father figure. As in he town. married your mom or as in you no. just put him in? Okay. <laughs> he, he, he just, I mean, he just kind of de facto became my dad as, you know, in a way, because growing up in a small town, it's pretty easy to go down the rock, bad path. And he mm-hmm. kind of pulled me back from that path. And through him, we took our department from four people, a 1976 Ford fire engine that we got from Lawrence, Kansas. And we turned it around and, now we've got like an 06 Freightliner. We've got a 1,500-gallon tanker. They just got an ambulance for a medical response. I mean, they he's completely turned that around. And, yeah, I mean, kind of went from kind of a laughingstock fire department to a real legit fire department now. I mean, a 1,500-gallon nice. tanker is nothing to mess with. Right. That's well, cool. so... So the floor is yours, man. I know you, you know, you, you've clearly told us a couple of them already, but uh, like, what are, you know, what are some of the things that a firefighter in a town of 246 besides, you know, Joe shit, the rag man getting smacked by a train because he's right. drunk. So we'll get into the big story. I was 19 years old at the time when this story happened. Uh, summer. It was a summer day. Part of our town, there's a 50,000 acre cattle ranch plus wildlife preserve. This, I, I worked on this ranch as a high school kid. This ranch has its own private road system and it's owned by five people. So we get toned out to a four wheeler accident on said ranch. That's mm. all we were told. Okay. I'm going to go right now. My stomach is already in knots because four wheel accidents, like off road, two dirt bikes. Yes quad okay go ahead so because it was a summer day in the middle of, or you know in the middle of the week most everybody was at work i don't remember why i was home at that time but anyways i go down to the firehouse um i was very notorious for getting to the firehouse first uh i had lots of lights and sirens on my little ford ranger and i made sure i got there quick i only had two other people show up i had a female and then a uh one of our other guys had just gotten back from, I want to say Syria. He was in the National Guard. He was deployed. And he had just gotten back home. So I drive the fire engine out to the scene. I get out there. Um, they tell me what gate to go in. I go in the gate. As soon as I get there, the person <clears throat> running the gate recognizes me. And the words out of her mouth were, thank God it's you. Uh, it's, that's never a good sign when you pull up on scene yeah. and they're saying that. I drive the two miles back to the scene. I pull up at an intersection and this is, it's all gravel roads. I pull up to an intersection and it's before I can even get the engine in park. I've got parents screaming at me. The guy laying on the ground or the kid laying on the ground needs your attention. The one wearing the helmet still needs your attention. So me and the other male that I had with me, we jump off the engine. I don't even grab the medical bag or anything. We just take off running to this kid that is laying in the middle of the gravel road. We run up. We both were standing beside each other. We look down. We turn and we look at each other. And it was pretty evident that he was DRT, dead right hmm. there. Yep. We could see that his rib or his chest was completely caved in and on him. Through his shirt, you could see his spine through the front. Ooh. But like uh, the like the 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 ridges of it, or he like it was a compound fracture where the skin had ruptured, or no. So what had happened was basically what happened was is he was on he was on a sport four-wheeler. Everybody else was on a utility. So he he took off flying and was so far ahead of everybody, he turned around and come back. Gravel roads, extremely dusty. One of the utility four-wheelers running about 50 miles an hour come up over his wheel and hit him dead center of the chest, and it broke his whole entire rib cage and just shoved it down. So as we got off the engine, there was one girl on the ground crying hysterical. She had a giant laceration to her forehead. Obviously, the female that we had on the engine instantly went there. Perfect. Right. 
So me and we looked down at him. The other guy that was with me, just to kind of save face, reached down, checked for a pulse. We obviously knew it wasn't there. So he literally just laid his coat over the top of him and took off walking to one of the other patients. So at this point in time, I just, I kind of stood there for a second and just looked around to see what I had going on. Cause I hadn't even surveyed the scene yet. Right. You're, had, you're triaging. You got to Like, who can yeah, I actually help? Yeah. I had, so the one girl was being taken care of. The other guy went to another guy that was laying on, or he was sitting on the ground and he was, had his hand over his collarbone, but you could see the collarbone was broke because his hand was mm. raised up. Mm-hmm. So he went to start working with him. So I'm looking around. I've got two other guys sitting on the ground. One is shivering and it's like 90 degrees outside. He's in shock. In shock. Yeah. One of the other guys is just sitting there, just being absolutely quiet. And then I see movement out of the corner of my eye and I turn and I look. And there's a guy just wandering around in the road, just walking in circles and looks like he just got into a boxing match because the lights are on, but there isn't anything going on inside there. Major head trauma, huh? Yeah. I was like, I was like, you know, I should probably go look at that guy. Let's go see what that guy's up to. ALOC, right? Yeah. (laughs) And as I started getting close to him, I could see yellow fluid leaking out of his ears. Uh Oh, like, oh, I'm like this, this guy is in bad shape yeah i, I, I mean i would rather him. see blood leaking from his ears yes than yeah not not, not cer- brain fluid c- yeah cerebral, cerebral cerebral spinal fluid cerebral yeah, yeah. there we go so spinal i go fluid. walking up to him and i'm like hello my name's dakota i'm with the fire department he swings at me which is very common cool. in head trauma so i kind of take a step back well one of the ladies that was screaming at us as soon as we got off the engine was his mom oh. she come running up and he recognized her and he just kind of walked towards her. I was like, hey, I can work with this. I am outnumbered by patients. Like, congratulations, mom. You're helping. Mm-hmm. I got him sat down on the ground, found out he was behind. He was riding on the same four that the kid that died was on. Oh. I was like, that explains the massive amount of trauma. So I gave mom a 15 second crash course on how to hold C-spine. She mm. held C-spine and talked to her son and I moved on to the next kid. I moved on to the guy that was in shock. I took a blanket, wrapped it over him. He was coherent and talking. He was just not processing what all was going on. Right. And this whole time I'm in contact with dispatch. Now I'm scene commander at this point. Dispatch has me. <laughs> right. our, our, yeah. That's crazy to me. You're scene commander, right? Oh, that's no. wild. Crazy hasn't happened yet. Oh, they're in. So I get a hold of dispatch and I tell them I need at least three ambulances well our county is so tiny we only have two at the hospital so they send they get a hold of somebody out of uh the next the county in kansas to send over an ambulance that's fine we were right on the kansas state line no big deal (laughs) then dispatch asked me if i'm going to need life flight i told her yes so as if i could not call in dispatch or i could not call in life flight Dispatch technically couldn't, but they could get our ambulance crew to call in lifelike. So I get on the radio with our ambulance guys. Granted, super small community, so I knew the ambulance guys. They asked me what I had. I told them what I had. We started two helicopters out of Kansas City. So, wow. At the same point in time. And how far are you in Kansas City? About 60 miles. So it takes oh, about, okay. All right. Yeah, so it's it not takes close. Them, yeah 15 okay. minutes because okay. I can cut through everything else. So both of my ambulances show up from our county. They show up and then I get a radio. I, then I get a call from the first helicopter. He's five minutes out. Okay. So I have to set up an LZ. I'm, I'm in command of the scene, the ambulance drivers, and I'm now setting up an LZ. Wow. I get an LZ set up in the field. I get the first helicopter on the ground. As soon as the first helicopter hits the ground, the second helicopter gets a hold of me and says, we are two minutes out. So I have to go on the other side of the street or other side of the gravel road, cover everybody up with blankets because I have to land them almost on the road and land the second helicopter. Mm. So I get, wow. the, I get the second helicopter on the ground. Then we're starting to figure out who's taking what patient and where they're going. 
obviously the kid leaking spinal fluid, he is priority number one. He's going to a major trauma center. We got him loaded up and took taken away. Then that's then at that point in time, the Kansas ambulance shows up. Okay. Kansas ambulance crews work differently than Missouri ambulance crews. In Kansas, when they show up on scene, they take control of the scene. So I have because that's lady. their that's just their protocol or yes, yes, that's just okay. their protocol. Interesting. Okay. So it's not like codified that's in weird. law where like no. Okay. So I have this lady, she gets out of the ambulance and she starts barking orders at me. I I was professional and I was like, hold on, I have control of the scene. This is what I've got going on right now. She starts telling me what me and my ambulance crews are going to start doing. This is where have being in a small community is nice because my ambulance, one of my ambulance crew members went, mm, no, and he took her behind their ambulance and they started getting into a screaming match. I'm like, guys, this is fine. We need to load patients. We've got patients here. We've got broken collarbones. We've got head trauma. We've got all of this that we need to get sorted out. So end all be all, we had two go life flight. Um, turns out the kid that had the broken collarbone, it also appeared that he had a broken neck because I had oh, his fuck. mom holding C-spine too. And when they went to transfer him over to the gurney and she let go, his neck kind of flopped over and he couldn't Ooh. really control it. So he was just going to go ambulance, but uh, broken neck and broken collarbone got him an airplane ride or a helicopter ride. Um, got everybody loaded up in ambulances. Besides the one, besides the one kid, everybody survived. So when it goes back to, I worked on this ranch and the five owners. Right. Every one of these owners knew me. I knew every one of these kids. I'd known these kids for probably four years. So it was, it was, it was very interesting or very odd walking up to a mass scene like that and going, I know everybody here. And mm. I, I know that kid that's dead right there. Like it was mm. very real. Yeah. Very surreal. And, but that was, that was the craziest scene I ever had to deal with. Uh, landing life flight was one of my favorite jobs. I absolutely love landing life flight. Was- but you know, it's, it's interesting because you're talking about being in such a small agency in such a small area. And yet I know veterans, veteran firefighters on large departments that have never had to handle a scene and control a scene and land helicopters and call mutual aid in from other, you know what I mean? It's right. It's interesting. And I, 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 this was pointed out to me by my father when I got on the job, cause he was from a much larger department and I went to a much smaller department. But when you work for a big agency, everybody's a specialist, right? Like, Oh, you have a traffic collision. We have a traffic collision unit. Oh, you have a traffic <laughs> right. collision that involves DUI and children. Well, we have a traffic collision unit that, that does DUIs involving children. Oh, you have a homicide. Well, we have that. Oh, you have a cold case. Hom- you know what I mean? There's a specialist right. for everything and that's yeah. all they do. But when you go to a smaller agency, you're the, you're it. Like, yeah. you, oh, ha- yeah. you know, they don't call in specialists. You are doing the job. So for those of you out there who are actually like looking to get on an apartment and you look at these bigger agencies, just remember that they have a lot of cool shit, but sometimes the smaller agencies are going to let you do more. Oh yeah. And I mean, like I said, so I was, I was primary driver for all the equipment. I could drive all the equipment. So there was a lot of times that we would get toned out to a house fire. I would drive the engine to the scene then go put on my SCBA and go inside the house to fight the fire. And somebody else would run the engine outside. Right. And it was, I mean, I did, I, I did take my fire one and two certifications. I took that class uh, as far as volunteer firefighters in Missouri, we weren't allowed to be EMTs or paramedics. We, we couldn't have that title as a volunteer so we could only do like basic you know stop bleeding hold c-spine that kind of thing first aid yeah yeah kind of you know general first aid but i could do all of that stuff so i mean yeah 
if my what's the reasoning behind not letting sorry go ahead with your advice i just was curious what the reasoning was for that so the reasoning behind that was as a volunteer firefighter we could fall under the good samaritan law Uh where so they didn't have to carry the insurance and everything for us to be like emts and stuff like that makes sense um but yeah my advice is definitely go to a smaller department even if you get on like a big department volunteer at a small department um one of the neighboring volunteer departments almost their whole department was firefighters in kansas city but they all lived in this town so they would volunteer on the side and which is super was super great for somebody like me because we were always calling them out for mutual aid you know fires and stuff like that and then i can see how the guys that do it professionally you know they would teach you stuff they would you know work with you and show you, Hey, this is what to do. This is what not to do. And so it was, it was super nice, but definitely, definitely play around on a small department because it is a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, until you happen to come upon an accident with people, you know, and right. (laughs) But here's the thing that can happen anywhere. Really? I mean, Oh yeah, for sure. The the odds go up. I've seen it happen. But yeah, I but, mean, I, my, I knew a, I had a relative who uh, had a friend that followed an ambulance just to see where it was going. And it went to her parents' house. Oof. Yeah. Oh. Talk about picking the wrong day to see where the ambulance is going. Right. I've seen it to where <clears throat> I work on a big agency and I've seen it to where <clears throat> we were working on a kid. He uh, did uh, auto erotica, mm. choked himself to death um, or strangled himself chicken to death. and himself. <clears throat> and um so we were rolled up on the scene and you know dad's working on them and there was two units that went myself and another unit two two men units so we have four officers there and um everyone's frantic we go running up into this place my buddy's like i think i know this place i was like oh really well, let's keep going and we go up there and we have our uh, cpr kits and so we run up and we see dad working on this kid and we're like, all right, hey, back up. Like, hey, let, let us get some work. Give us some air. Let us work. And we start working on this kid. And I look over at my buddy and, I, and I just, he just goes cold face. And I'm like, hey, dude, what's wrong? He's like, I know this kid, family friend. And I'm like, oh, fuck, step mm-hmm. back. And so I start running it. And so I start running the scene. And and even though I was the third um, uh third officer there with the most seniority and there was only one other person underneath me that was didn't have as much seniority as me so i was like almost bottom of the barrel the other two people the dude who had the most seniority he knew the kid so he could he he couldn't make decisions i had to tell him what to do the other one he only had a year more than me um and so i would just run him because i had more experience than him and you know patrol and shit like that so i'm running the fucking scene with what three and a half years on the job and i'm like this is wild and I'm telling him what to do. We're starting breathing. We're starting, you know, chest compressions and shit like that. Because even though I'm like, he stopped working. I go to fill his pulse to fill a ligature mark. And I'm like, dude, this kid's been dead for a minute, mm-hmm. but we have the family watch. So we have to keep working. And I have to keep Grand telling part. the guy who knows the kid because it's a family friend of his, what to do and keep going to keep his mind off of it. And then when everything's said and done, you know, uh rescue ambulance gets there, they check it. Like, no, they work on him a little bit, right. call it. And then, you know, we do all the rest of the death investigation and shit like that. But I worked on a big agency. And so the chances of running into someone that, you know, is very slim. And I've only ran into one other person that but I went not to high zero. school with. And he was a drug addict yeah. and trying to sell dope. And we, we, you know, we tried to arrest him and do shit like that. And then we ran him off. But it's so rare that you run into someone that, you know, that's dead mm. or severely injured or whatever. And it's like, like a one in a thousand chance or one in a million chance of it that fucking happened. But it also for people who live in that general area and then they go work that area, it's more common for them, even though mm-hmm. there is like 400,000, 500,000 people in that small little city or whatever, or even more in that little town. Um, it, it's, it's still like sometimes it happens and you're talking about agency that's fucking massive. And I was like, right. Jesus, this is wild. And I've only ran into that twice. And I've never, I don't believe I've ever had to work on someone that I actually knew, maybe knew while working in that area and knew who that person was, but not personally knew from outside of work. And I, I just, I think that's so wild. And and I see people who lock up on it and I'm like, that, that must be difficult. I mean, I can compartmentalize pretty fucking well mm. um, and then think about it later, but I'm like, that's so fucking wild. Like if you know everyone and you're going to most calls and you're seeing people that are 
fucking severely screwed up on the ground and you personally know them you've had conversations you've had friendships with them and you're seeing them at their worst like how difficult that must be and you know how tough that must be to try to remain in that zone to where you're having to take work first and then personal shit later and completely shut that switch off well and i would run into people you know in a smaller agency you'll deal with people on a professional basis like chuck at a larger agency he's working the same areas and stuff but he's going to have less frequent flyers say than somebody like me and then i'll have less frequent flyers than somebody than say like dakota because dakota's dealing with literally the same people all the time and i was dealing with a lot of the same people all the time so you get to see these faces and stuff like that and sometimes you know you you get to know somebody in town and then the next thing you know, you're arresting them or you've arrested them. And the next thing you know, they're hit by a car or mm. that, you know, you're, you're, you're on a call performing CPR on them. And then six months later you run into them and they, they lived and you're like, Oh shit, right. you lived. Right. It's, it's that kind of a, uh, when you know people and, and you deal, I guess it's like, the, I, I saved some dudes left. Never saw them again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even right. know what happened. No, no idea. You save someone. And then six months later, you see that person alive. Yeah. So we went to a call and I, I, don't, I think I've kind of talked about this a little bit on the show, but we went to a call um, where was a uh, teenage, teenage male had hung himself. And um, we were pretty much convinced we were going to a dead body call, but they said CPR was in progress or whatever. So we went out there. Well, you know, dad's working on him. We start working on him. Fire gets there. They are working on him. He's agonal breathing, all the bad stuff. Mm. And even the the medic, the medic there happened to be the wife of one of our officers at our department. So he worked for the police department. She worked on the ambulance crew, but he wasn't at the call. She was. And she's telling us, yeah, he's he's circling the drain, you know, but he still technically had a pulse. So they shipped him off to the hospital but like lo and behold six months later i'm like working patrol and going to a, a call at a park of of a disturbance of a bunch of people you know being too loud and whatever and i get there and there's a bunch of teenagers that are you know talking loud and being rambunctious and one of them is this kid and mm-hmm. you know i got to talk to him after the fact and i was like hey and he's like, oh, hey, man. I'm like, so, you know, I was there when you, you know, had your incident. And he's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And like, he still kind of had a little mark around his neck. And like, he he was like, no, I'm good. Like, it was it was the most, like you said, surreal, you know, when you go through. And then the next thing you know, like, beep, 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 beep. Hey, how's it going? Be bopping around. And you're like, oh, shit. I think it's kind of like when, you know, when you see somebody like, can you remember when you were a kid? And you'd have like a high school teacher or an elementary school teacher or whatever. And you only saw them at school. And then one day out of nowhere, you run into them at like the grocery store in their civilian clothes with their like mm-hmm. wife and kids. And you're like, oh, my God, you're a real person. And you're wearing flip flops and shorts. You know, it was this weird disconnect. Imagine that times 100 because you're like, oh, I was I'm, I'm fucking doing CPR on you. And I thought you were dead. And here you are. <laughs> you know, what's what's funny. Is that um, so? I haven't had anyone that I really knew that in from my personal life before I became law enforcement um, that died on me, but I did go to school with a lot of fucking weirdos. And <clears throat> so, John used to work in an area, our John, right? near, yeah, yeah, close yeah. near to where I worked, but it was still pretty far away to where if you had overlapping people, you'd be like, oh, that's that's just so fucking weird. It's strange. So, I, I, I hit him up and I was like, hey, dude, like, remember, remember Kyle from um from high school and he was like oh that fucking that curly-haired fucking weirdo kid and i was like yeah, yeah yeah that kid i was like i ran into him on a call because they called in someone selling drugs at a bus stop some transient selling fucking drugs and come to find out that was him and we couldn't find anything on him there was no witnesses or anything like that that wanted to stick around so we ended up just you know taking a strong fi on and dusting them off and getting them out of the, the right. out of our area and he's like oh yeah he goes, funny thing, I just arrested him. And I was like, no shit. He goes, yeah. He goes, want to see the booking photo? <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm like, no fucking way. I was like, yeah, let me see what the same person. Sure as shit. Same kid wearing the same fucking clothes. Wow. So wow. it's just, and that was months and months apart, you know, and I was like, that's fucking weird. You know, like that's, it's, it's wild, you know, uh, that the weird things that we run into in this the weird coincidence, even in really big areas, this, how small the world mm. is, but so vast it is, but it's just weird things overlap and you see people and it's, it's so strange. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I think what I, I, it sounds like what you were talking about Dakota with the compartmentalizing, what I was talking about with mm-hmm. that is like, that doesn't go away. Like you're going to have to process the fact that you knew this person or, or right. you, you, you had, you know, we've, we've talked to people. What was the the firefighter we talked to where the, the house that was on fire was, you know, he thought it was his grandparents' house at first, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was because everybody in the town was so close to each other. And, and he knew the guy that was, that lived there and died and all this other, like yeah, that's wild. stuff, you know, you, you can't, <clears throat> this job's hard enough. And then you add in personal relationships. <laughs> oh, the, and like one thing that I found that it almost really helped was, you know, somebody's in a car accident, somebody's house is on fire, something like that. That is one of the worst days of their life. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I'm in a small community. I walk up and they know, they know me. It's, it's an kind of an instant comfort because, you know, and, and they know that I know what I'm doing. I'm trained. I, you know, and I'll admit I was kind of a dorky kid in high school. I mean, you know, I, my graduating class was 18. We were very tiny, very close knit, but I was kind of, you know, I was kind of the dorky kid in high school and stuff like that. But when, when I was on call, when I was a firefighter, I was, I was a completely different. Yeah. I was, you, you had to be a different person. Yeah. I was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the person that I am now, you know, the fire department definitely helped me gain self-confidence. You know, I was, I was strong. I was, I was commanding. I was, so it was, it worked out, you know, being a friendly face for people to see because, you know, car accident, they're freaking out. Their parents are freaking out. I can walk in and be like, Hey, I got this. I got this. Right. Let me handle right. this. And I, and everybody would kind of take a step back and go, okay, we know, you know, we know you, we've grown up with you. We right. know that you can handle this situation. Yeah. Yeah. To speak on that, you know, to speak on the whole, like when, you know, you're a different type of person when you're, you know, actually working, it's the weird, I'm a, I'm a big time introvert, you know, whatever. And <clears throat> when I work, I'm exactly the opposite. Like I'll go up to anyone. I'll talk to anyone. Like I have to, it's just, there is, it's too, I'm a completely different person. It's almost like, two well, look at the podcast. You're not an introvert on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit different. Right? I mean, I'm gotten no, but better. What I'm saying I've is very much gotten better, but you get better at things, but you, ha- you put on that uniform or you, right. you know, you put on your podcast microphone or whatever, you know, you, it, my wife would laugh. She would, she would not be able to figure it out at first. She goes, comes up to visit me at the department and like, Hey, let's go to lunch. I was like, all right, drive up. We'll, we'll go get some code seven or whatever. And, uh, I would always walk out in uniform and it never failed. Every time my wife would come up and see me in uniform, she would always comment on how different I was. Like she said, you look taller. You Mm -hmm. look like, and I'm like, I'm not, she goes, but you look, how do you look so much taller? And I said, well, first of all, I slouched in my normal life. But when I put on my super suit, you can't slouch. Like, right. Like you have to say, fucking you stand, it's ingrained in you. stand up straight. Like, yeah. you know, you, so, so you, you put on that uniform and you do, you, it gives you license to become a different person. It's, it's the same reason that, that people put on costumes every year at Halloween and mm-hmm. it gives them permission to act a fool and do shit that they would never, ever, 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 ever do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why there's a rise in all these, you know, I'm a slutty doctor. I'm a sl- <laughs> right <laughs> now. I always I'll, loved working Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I, I will kind of go back leading up to it. <laughs> right. I will kind of go back to one of the drawbacks of being on a very small department. So after we did the, I, after me and one other person on my department did the fire one and two, all the departments around us decided to have a fire games. We kind of wanted to show the community, you know, how well we're trained, everything like that. It was just a fun, you know, day, except it was 98 degrees and we're running around in full gear and fire gear is Mm -hmm. very hot. 
but it was it was kind of a point of pride for us because I could go from street clothes to full breathing SCBA in a minute thirty. I was right. very I was very good at putting on my gear. Your practice that oh yeah. Sure. So we do all these fire games. Cool, everything's great. We are on our way home from the neighboring town, and we get toned out to a structure fire. Now we'd been doing these fire games for about two, two and a half hours in the blazing heat. And then we get toned out to a structure fire. I go inside and interior fight this. And every firefighter knows the general rule of thumb is, is you get two bottles and then you're done. I was in the process of going in on my third bottle. And I walked up to my chief and I was like, chief, I don't feel so good. And he goes, maybe you should back out and go see the ambulance. So as I'm walking out, his wife at the time was also had also done EMT training and mm-hmm. she was going in on her third bottle and, she, you know, kind of going back to when I was a firefighter, I was completely different. When she seen me walking out, stripping off my gear, she realized there was a problem. So the first thing she did is she walked up to me. She goes, what's going on? I'm like, I don't feel very good. She rips off my gloves and checks my pulse and her eyes got about as big around as dinner plates. And she just pointed at the ambulance and go, you need to go over there. (laughs) So I go over to the ambulance and one of the ambulance driver or one of the guys on the ambulance, his name was Bob. He was from New York and he was just this mountain of a man, just an absolute monster of a man. I go up to him and I was like, Hey, I don't feel so good. He checks my pulse and he goes, you get in the ambulance right now. So I can start an IV bag on you. Cause you oh. are, he goes, you're not even sweating anymore. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm fine. And he reaches down and picks me up. And I was 200 pounds at the time. He picks me up and walks me into the ambulance. Like I was a little child and sat me down on the bench. And I just sat there like a good boy and got my IV bag. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. oh, man. But yeah, that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. one of the drawbacks of being on the department is, I mean, we'll do, I was, I've been on grass fires for eight, 10 hours before at a stretch too. You mm-hmm. know, that's, it is just absolutely exhausting and just brutal, but it's, you know, we, we do yep. it for the fun we of do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> for the, in quotations. Right. Anyway, it is fun. Don't get like, we oh, wouldn't yeah. do it if it wasn't fucking a blast, but there's a lot like, for every 10 seconds of like awesome pursuit, fight, fire, helicopter, you're going to deal with hours of paperwork and emotional trauma and sleepless nights. It's, it's a trade-off, but let me tell you, that's how awesome those exciting moments are. If we're willing to put up with all the other hours and hours and hours of bullshit, um, oh, yeah. but eventually the bullshit catches up to you. So can, that's for sure. This was one of the other stories I was going to tell. We get toned out three o'clock, three thirty in the morning. There's only a certain amount of people that are out at three thirty in the morning, and in a small community, the bars are shutting down at three. So we get toned out to a car accident at three thirty in the morning. We'll grab the engine, show up. We have I have a vehicle on its top, and I can see an arm sticking, like elbow sticking out of the passenger window. Down in the ditch. My fire chief, his wife at the time, and myself are the ones on the scene. She goes down in there. She starts talking to him. He's talking to us. He's just coherent and everything's fine. I follow her down in there and we're talking, trying to figure it out. His arm is basically from the elbow, completely underneath the roof of this car. So we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. He's in a very deep ditch. It was probably seven, eight foot deep. So we're talking to him. That's the freaking canal. (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking to him, trying to figure it out. My fire chief's up on the road and he's starting to get, we just got a bunch of brand new extrication gear. We got a grant. We got new extrication gear. We wanted to play with the fun stuff, but we decided just to use the airbags so we could lift the, lift the car up off of him to get his arm out. We're standing there and the sheriff's deputy who is kind of standing up on the road, he goes, Hey, you guys need to watch above your head what do you mean? And we, me and the lady, we turn and we look up the front bumper to the car is hanging off of the power lines. Mm. And we were like, Oh, okay. So we put on our helmets and we went back to doing what we were doing. We got him out of the car and there's beer cans on the ground inside the car, everything. And 
she asked him, she goes, have you been drinking? Cause he was bleeding. So we were, you know, trying to figure out how much blood we're going to deal with. And he looks at us dead in the face and goes, I haven't been drinking. Mm. And I okay, reached okay. down and I grabbed one of the beer cans and it was still cold. I was like, you, you understand that we're not the cops. We just need to know so we can help you not bleed to death. He right. goes, okay, maybe I've had a couple. I'm like, right. <laughs> and, and I'm sure you guys dealt with that way more as cops. We're like, no, I haven't been drinking. Oh, I dealt with, I dealt with an ambulance. <laughs> I dealt with an ambulance crew member <clears throat> trying to get my DUI crash suspect on an ambulance before I could smell the alcohol in his breath because they were trying they were they thought they were protecting him yeah and like yeah you you know, and i looked i'm like you know we're just gonna go up to the hospital and get what we need there right like you're not <laughs> yeah. just every time they say i haven't been drinking they're like two times three times over the legal limit and you're like, oh yeah so what what happened was is this guy had so he basically crashed just on the other side of a curve it was a full probably two mile straightaway stretch he was so drunk, he passed out, flat-footed the car, and when he missed the curve and ran off the road, he hit the driveway to a field and basically did his best impression of the Dukes of Hazard and launched the car about 60 foot, and it landed, bounced, and rolled on top of him. Oh, and, wow. uh, it, it was absolutely amazing. So we get done with the call. Everything's wrapped up. I go home and I go to bed. I wake up the next morning about nine o'clock to a phone call from my chief. And he goes, Hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. He was like, um, are you itching anywhere? And at that point in time, I realized I was scratching my chest and I just went, Oh no. Mm. And I looked down and I am covered from about mid chest to just above the knee in poison Ivy. So he had landed. Yes, he had landed in a poison ivy patch, and we were down there in the summer heat, sweaty, trying to get him out of it, and going back to for the fun. I ended up going to the hospital, getting steroid shots, being on a Z pack, so I could get over this poison ivy. Mm. For the fun. Well, we appreciate you coming wow. on again, Dakota. I'm, I'm glad it was War Stories this time, and we finally were able to schedule you and get your story. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, Chuck, what do you have for us as we close up? I know you have our dedication this week, right? I do. Yeah. I did a dedication I get into all the nitty-gritty stuff. <clears throat> so, um, this week's dedication goes out to Dylan Michael Vakoff. Police officer Dylan Vakoff was shot and killed while responding to a domestic disturbance in the 6700 block of west 51st avenue at about 1 40 a.m he and another officer were attempting to break up a fight between family members when one of the involved men opened fire wounding a woman who was also involved in the disturbance the subject then exchanged shots with officer vakoff and the other officer officer vakoff was mortally wounded before the subject was also shot officer vakoff was transported to lathurin hospital where he succumbed to his wounds Officer Vakoff was a U.S. Air Force veteran and had served with the Arvada Police Department for three years. He was 27 years old, did a tour of three years, and he's a United States military veteran. Well, rest easy, brother. We got it from here. Uh, We appreciate you coming on, Dakota. Uh, You have any last things you want to say to our audience before we uh, close out? Yeah. If you've got a if you've got a volunteer fire department or you can volunteer or help out with fire department police agencies, do it. It is a lot of fun and you would be surprised it might turn into a career field, mm. which I, you know, as a firefighter, I gave all my sheriff's deputies and crap and they gave it to me right back. But at the end of the day, we are brotherhood. We're yep. we're together in this. And if you can go volunteer or if you can go help out, go do it. It's it is a lot of fun and they will greatly appreciate it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And as, and uh, as usual, you guys can uh, support us by uh, going to our website and we still have the the hoodies and the shirts and the, the, yeah. uh, all that stuff available. Um, Chuck, how can they follow us? 
Yeah, go to our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, share our post and our info. You can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media and our website. Our podcast is on all major podcasting platforms as well as on YouTube. If you want to go support us, the website is www.warstoriesofficial.com. Go ahead and grab some gear. we got the new shirts, got some stickers. They can only be uh, obtained by purchase of the shirt. We still have some movie hoodies and... Um, we have the, some of the other old shirts still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to be featured on the show, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com and send me your story. I'll get you booked. We are looking for law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers, fire, medics, and veterans. Um, if you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support. Stay safe. Yep. And uh, we appreciate you guys all listening. We're going to have uh, our debriefs, I think, are going well. I, if you guys have stuff you want us to debrief, let us know. Um, oh, did you hear can... about that? Uh, this might be a possible topic, but did you hear about that? Uh, that I think it was a deputy from like Virginia or some shit who catfished a girl out in Riverside and then went out there and then ended up killing, killing her or killing her family. Her family is like, yeah some gonna, crazy yeah, shit crazy. i don't know this story's still coming out but i don't know what happened yeah. but that's yeah. just wild yeah what the fuck? so yeah dude anyway well um uh we will we will get into those if you have topics you can send it to us you can always yep. if you want to be on booking.warstories.gmail.com if you just have a comment or want to send us an email to read it's mailbag.warstories.gmail.com and until our next episode come home with your shield or honor.